Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with Andrew Suskin, who is a clinical social worker and psychotherapist. He's also the author of It's Not About the Sex, Moving from Isolation to Intimacy After Sexual Addiction. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Jonathan. I know that we've been trying to get this together for a while, so it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited, man. So, uh, you know, I think from the title of your book that the listeners can probably gather that we're going to be talking about sex. And I'm really glad to have you on the show because as much as people in recovery for addiction might get used to uh, opening up about substance abuse, I think there's still a lot of stigma and misunderstanding surrounding sex addiction. Um, but before we hop into that, I want you to just share a bit about how you found your way into recovery, if you would. Sure. So it was 1994, and I was getting involved in a lot of compulsive sexual behavior back in the 90s here in Los Angeles. I, I, it was a time in my life when I was really, really lonely and lost and scared and um, it was a time when AIDS was really rampant. And so personally, I I didn't know how to find my way into relationships, intimacy, sex, any of that in a way that was going to be fun, satisfying, and and also uh, something that would really work for me in my life and feel in alignment or in my integrity. So what happened was back then I was really getting more and more um, depleted. I think the word is depleted. Okay. And, and it was a time when, for instance, um, in, in the gay community, for instance, it was almost a given that you would have promiscuous sex. It was just something that the people did. Of course, there was safer sex involved because of HIV and AIDS, but there was a lot of uh, anonymous sex, a lot of sex going on that really wasn't very conscious. And so in my own experience, the way I look at my own compulsivity is is that it was something that I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to because I was doing it actually on a daily basis. And and I was also really at the point where I I, I was consumed with it to the point where I couldn't get it off my mind. So Mm. wake up in the morning, I would be thinking about it. I would go to bed at night, I would be thinking about it. So it was very obsessive at that point. And then the most important thing, and this goes for any addiction, is that I started to have some consequences, okay? So I started spending less time with friends. I started skipping out on some work commitments. I started to get some STDs. It was a time when I was putting myself at higher risk. And as a result, 
it was getting more and more consequential where I, things were really starting to unravel in my life a bit. Okay. And that's when I went to my first meeting in, in November of 94. Okay. And so was part of your story substance abuse as well? It actually wasn't. Okay. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, with addictions, as I know, I, I know you know, there's often multiple addictions involved, right? Sure. It's not just about the substance, you know, it can be food, it can be sex, it can be money. Um, and of course, all the different uh, chemicals that we put into our body. For me, you know, I, I smoked a lot of pot in college, actually, sure. that was like my best friend in a way. Yeah. But, but that I was able to give up pretty easily, or at least moderate, right? Yeah. Okay. So it, it was more the, the, the desire to uh, validate and, and feel like somehow I was good enough or like I was someone that was going to get some attention, mm. you know, through, through uh, sexual conquests. Okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and I want to get into that a little bit more here. And you, you touched on a couple important things, I think. Um, before we go there, though, I, I want to ask you, you know, how do you define sex addiction? Like, what, what does that really look like? You talked about, you know, yeah. some compulsive behaviors, but I think, um, you know, and I think even I need some clarity on that. Like, what, what does that actually look like in most cases? Well, it's not a cookie cutter answer, okay? okay. Be because just recently, just last year, uh, the World Health Organization classified um, sex addiction as, as what they call compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Okay. Now, I'm not crazy about the word disorder because I don't like to pathologize sex mm. or make it something bad, but, but I definitely was involved in compulsive sexual behavior. And so it, it's being recognized actually for the very first time as, as something that all physicians, all healthcare professionals, all mental healthcare professionals are actually seeing as a diagnosis. Okay. Now, again, I'm not so much into the diagnostic side of it because I, I think that puts it more in a disease category. And mm. we could talk more about that if you want to. Um, but without going to the book itself, without sure. going to the International Classification of, of Diseases, the IED, they call it, um, what I can say is what I said before is how I, is my shortcut to what all of this is about. So it has to be something that's very obsessive and all consuming. It has to be something that you wanna stop, but you can't. Mm. And it has to be something that has progressive consequences to it. And those are really the three hallmarks, in my opinion, of out of control sexual behavior, which I, I kind of like that, that term, yeah. or compulsive sex, right? Oh, okay, got it, got yeah. it. Now, one thing you touched on is um, you know, maybe some, I think some people might refer to it as like crossover addictions, you know, multiple addictions, which, you know, might also include obviously, uh, you know, some out of control sexual behavior as you just described. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in your line of work, how often do you see people that, that have that, that are dealing with both substance abuse issues and out of control uh, or compulsive sexual behavior? So keeping in mind that I've been in the 12-step rooms for 25 years, mm -hmm. and I've been in the therapy rooms as a therapist for 28 years, yeah. 
I have a lot of experiential um, kind of, of information. Okay. I'm certainly not a researcher or a scientist. Yeah. But but I would say that almost everyone has some kind of overlapping addictive compulsive behavior. Now it may be less problematic or maybe more problematic. I mean, for instance, crystal meth and sex is very common. That's one of the more common um, types of, of what we might call overcoupling, where yeah. you've got two addictions that are, are often inter interlinked that way. Mm. Um, sometimes you'll see cocaine and sex. Sometimes you'll see pot and porn, right? That's kind of a, seems to be a combination that I see with a lot of the younger folks. A lot of the younger men are, you know, so hooked on porn and they're getting stoned at the same time. There's okay. something about that that seems to work for a lot of guys. Okay. So it, it goes on and on. I don't think there's an easy answer for that. I think yeah. there's people that, that abuse food and are overeating or restricting that are also dealing with a, a sex, sexual compulsivity of some sort or another. Mm. Um, same thing with money issues, you know, where people are, are debting over uh, shopping or gambling, and they're also uh, using prostitutes. So, so it's really like a, um, a, a smorgasbord of behaviors that sometimes link up. And, and so it's always really, really important to tease them out and to know that, that they all really need some attention. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, one thing I'm thinking about, and I guess I just want your thought on this from both a, you know, a clinical perspective and just like you said, someone that's, you know, been in the rooms for a long time, the 12-step uh, rooms. You know, I I'm thinking about a lot of the times maybe someone is, and, and I'm just speaking from my experience and, and what I've seen with other people is, um, and and even with myself to to some degree with like, I remember early on in recovery, like, man, I was just shopping buying everything and psychic like like crazy right. and and i think that it's very easy for someone that has you know let's say someone's listening right now they have a, a substance abuse issue and maybe you know part of them is saying man maybe i do have you know some some sexual uh, addiction issues that are that are out of control um, but it's easy to be in denial about that stuff. How often do you see that, like within the the the, the rooms and just people that you work with, that maybe they're working on on one issue and that seems to be going okay, but they're kind of in denial about the sexual issue that's going on. Do you see that very often? It's a great question, Jonathan, because what what often happens is one behavior stops okay. and then the other gets revealed. So it's mm. like you plug the hole in the dam and then the other hole pops out. Oh, wow. And so for instance, often in the rooms, I'll, I'll hear in a meeting, oh, I, I'm doing really well. I haven't, I have a couple years under my belt in AA or NA. And my sponsor thought it would be really important for me to check out a, a meeting for sex addiction. So they'll come to a meeting and all of a sudden they'll realize, wow, this is not only something that I need to address, but this might be my core issue. Mm. And, and so what I want to say about that is I believe that all addictions, all addictions are based in brokenheartedness, right? We're not just talking about sex addiction. It, it, it's, it's really something that anybody who is involved in a compulsive and addictive behavior 
is is working really hard to try and feel better mm. through that behavior, right? Or or sometimes feel less, or sometimes feel more. Actually, it can go in, in either direction. But it, underneath it, we're talking about brokenheartedness, and we're often, not all the time, but often talking about some kind of trauma. And that's why nowadays I, I, I've done a lot of trauma training because I feel like it's so important to understand the nervous system and to heal from the bottom up and not just change your thoughts. Although all of the 12 steps, all of what we've been taught you know, by the, the pioneers of, of the 12-step world is, is so important, but underneath of it, it's, there's often stored trauma. Mm. Yeah. And we're hearing that, you know, it's, I think it's a cool thing because we're hearing so much more about that these days. You know, I I know like every year at the end of the year, there's like a word of the year, right? And Mm -hmm. and I'm sure, unfortunately, this year, it's going to turn out to be something uh, dealing with coronavirus with just the the craziness going on right now. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But I, I would think, uh, that one of the words that might be at the top of the list, if they were to rank this, would be trauma. You know, trauma is talked about mm-hmm. a lot more now, and I think that's a a great thing. You know, it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's I think it's a good thing in the sense when I think about it that sometimes maybe I I would say probably most of the time we can't necessarily drill down like why. Right. right. I think that drives a lot of people crazy. And I think it did for me at first too. like, why, why, you know, why did this Mm -hmm. happen? Why did I get into drugs and alcohol? Why did I do this or that? But I I think that um, not really generalizing it, but just saying, you know, there was some kind of trauma that led Mm -hmm. to this. I I think Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a great way and, and really an important way to look at it. Now, I know that, that a big part of your book and a big part of what you talk about is is intimacy so what i wanted to ask you is is you know why um why should intimacy and connection be a long-term goal for someone in recovery well um it's it's only a goal if a person identifies it as a goal it's not my job to say to them you know intimacy is the end of the the yellow brick road and and you're going to find everything you need there okay but with that said i I do have a bias because what we've learned especially in the last 20 years or more 20 to 30 years is that we're biologically wired for connection Hmm. as human beings we're biologically wired for connection and that's all about the attachment research that's been going on and understanding how the brain responds to secure attachment. So if we connect with somebody, it could be a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a parent, a friend, anybody in our life who we feel totally comfortable with and we can be ourselves with, our brain responds to that. Our brain starts firing this, this actually chemicals that feel really delicious. And as part of that experience, we're actually healing the ruptures of the past, right? So let's say a child goes through some kind of abuse or some neglect or some kind of awful, uh, like an earthquake. I live in LA, so like an earthquake or or a divorce. Yeah, You know, that's way too much for a kid to process the process at the time. And so if you want to think about trauma as 
anything that's too much to process at the time and that gets stored inside of us, that's really the deeper healing. So love and connection and attachment is really the healing property that helps us move beyond the trauma. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That really starts, starts the healing process is what it sounds like. For sure. For sure. I, I, are you familiar with uh, Brene Brown at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she says is shame is given to us by others and shame is healed through others. Oh, wow. And, and I just think it's so dead on. And it's the same thing, you know, that, that if, if as a kid, you know, if we haven't been given, you know, there's always gaps in, in love and, and connection as a kid, mm -hmm. but that's our job really in recovery and in general, I'm not just talking about people in recovery, um, to mend the broken heart. And part of mending the broken heart is, is through finding reliable people, not just reliable people who will drive you to the airport, but emotionally reliable people. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and, and I'm also thinking about uh, another Brene Brown quote mm -hmm. or an idea that she presents. You know, you said there's there's gaps sometimes when we're growing up in terms of, you know, that that love or connection we get from others or even as adults, there's that that gap there. Maybe we're not always getting what we feel we need, but what I was just thinking about there, you know, she also says, um, assume that people are doing the best that they can. That's right. That's you know, right. And, and I think that's important as well. Kind of the flip side of, of that equation there. Now, rewinding briefly to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you were describing in your own story, some of the consequences that you started to uh, mm -hmm. experience. And, and I am going to say that there's at least one person right now uh, you know, maybe early in recovery or maybe is, has been around for a while um, that that is like I seriously identifying with what you're saying right now mm -hmm. and, and what we're talking about. Yeah. They, they might see it as like the lesser evil, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm not going to more than likely break into cars to feed my porn addiction. I'm, right. I'm probably not you know, doing some of these things that, that we may or may not do. Everyone's story is different, right? But some of these things uh, that we start to do, you know, with substance abuse um, or maybe eating disorders or, or something like that, or I'm sorry, uh, substance abuse, you know, not like eating disorders or, or sex addiction, little different behaviors there, some of the things we do. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, why should someone really see this? Like, why is this a problem at the end of the day? Well, again, Jonathan, it's only a problem if, if someone identifies it as a problem. Generally speaking, what I see anyway is, is there's a lot of profound loneliness that shows up. There's a lot of unresolved grief that shows up. Okay. There's a lot of ways that people protect themselves from not getting hurt. You know, and I think what Brene Brown has put in front of us is that in order to be to, to create real intimacy, we've got to take risks and we've got to be vulnerable, right? The power of vulnerability was was her first breakthrough TED talk, which I love. And and so again, it's not going to be the same for everyone. But but what happens generally is when someone becomes more aware 
of their pain, right? When, when they really start to feel their suffering and, and what I call their brokenheartedness, that's generally when I see them in my office. Okay. But there's a lot of folks out there who are going to suffer and, and unfortunately not make it into a therapy office. Um, as you know, in the rooms, all of the 12 step rooms, there's folks who have time under their belt and are still suffering. Mm. Right. Wouldn't yeah. you agree to that? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and so in a way propelled me to, to write my book is to, you know, offer some ideas and to, to create a dialogue and some honest conversations around what's not always talked about. In, in the rooms, like I said, it could be anything from emotional sobriety to grief, to narcissism, to the nurse, nervous system, mm. um, to intimacy, and just to name a few. And, and so if someone is, is kind of like hitting bottom in a way, it's like if someone starts to really look at what is holding them back from having a fuller, more meaningful life or, or recovery, then there's that readiness moment. But a lot of folks, like you said, it's not on the top of their list, right? Yeah. And so it, it's really a matter of, you know, just being available if and when someone is, is open to, to looking at this part of them and to spreading the word, you know, to start that. That's why I, I, I really was, you know, so, um, I don't, sometimes I look back at the writing of this book and I think, you know, how did that even happen? Mm. And it happened because I've been around so long that I was getting really worn down with all of the suffering around me. And, and so it, it, it really was a matter of starting to look at what, what are these things that are not being fully explored and, and unearthed? And that, that's where I, I, I come from. Yeah. I, I really, yeah, I really love that, you know, and, and I know that, I mean, you, you hate to see people, you know, in, in general, but definitely people in recovery who are trying to do something about what they see as whatever their main issue is coming in and whether they're, you know, you hate to see people suffering, period. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I definitely saw right off the bat when I got sober that um, there were people that had been around a while and and they weren't happy. So I think you know, and, and not necessarily that they were dealing with sex addiction, but maybe they were dealing with some issues along those lines. And, um, you know, I don't want to get into the debate of, you know, is it okay to be talking? So, you know, some people would say these are outside issues for AA or NA or whatever. And I think that varies, you know, in a lot of the meetings I go to, these things do get brought up and they are talked about. And um, personally, you know, I think it life in my mind, relates back to, uh, you know, the, the addiction and alcoholism and, and yeah. some of this, you know, some of these sexual behaviors that you're talking about are wrapped up in that. So um, not to get into that too much, but again, let's say, you know, someone's listening right now, they're starting mm -hmm. to identify, they're, they're starting to say, okay, like, well, maybe it is an issue, but I, I don't know what to do here. So, you know, mm -hmm. if we're describing this person pretty well and they're identifying, where should they start to, to try and resolve mm -hmm. this? What do some of those first steps look like? Sure. So first of all, I, I think we're talking about a huge number of people out there, huge. Okay. And, and 
where they can begin is hopefully with the resources that are already around them. For instance, can they start talking in meetings more about this? Can they talk to them about this? Um, if they prefer work talking with a pastor, for instance, or a coach, absolutely. And then there's lots and lots of therapists who do speak my language nowadays who are trauma-informed and who are addiction specialists right. who really want to get underneath these issues. So I would say that's the primary sources that, that people can, can, can consider. Yeah. Uh, they can check out my book, of course. Absolutely. And just to, to, to mention one thing about it, you know, a yeah, lot of please. folks who are reading the book, it's, it's been out almost a year now, are saying that, yeah, this is about sex addiction, but actually it's about all addictive compulsive behaviors. Okay. And actually a lot of this is about anybody even beyond addiction. So um, because my heart is in the rooms of those dealing with out of control sexual behaviors, mm -hmm. that's where I end up leaning in the book. But okay. but 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 I, it can definitely open a dialogue for people. And the one thing I didn't mention, Jonathan, mm. is I, I have a chapter called Cultivating Contentment. And the reason I called it contentment is in my own life, I, I actually feel like it's too much pressure to, to create joy. You know, I, I, I believe in joy. I believe in gratitude. I believe in happiness. But I really want to feel content. I want to feel comfortable in my own skin. And that's a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would say that if there's two things that are really primary in my recovery nowadays, it's feeling comfortable in my own skin, which I consider contentment, and it's receiving love, which is always a, an uphill battle for me. Yeah. So, so when people are looking for resources, sometimes the resources are right in front of them. You know, just uh, leaning into the love, really leaning into the, the people in their life who are like-minded, like-hearted folks who, who would be open to chatting about some of these issues that are, are often not talked about. Okay. So it sounds like really the, the main step, and, and this, you know, this makes a lot of sense because it's, again, we're, we're not... In your book, for instance, uh, it's not just about sex addiction. Um, right. And, you know, the key to dealing with all of this stuff is really opening up and, and starting a dialogue, as you just said. So now that can be tough, though, right? Like an internal, like if we think about, you know, the first step, for instance. That's right. You know, it's like I'm, I've got to have this internal dialogue with myself. I've got to get honest with myself about what's going on. That's so, right. Considering that that someone has uh, maybe been having some of that dialogue, but they need a little bit of help in the sense of mm -hmm. they need to ask themselves some questions. Are, are there right. some good questions that maybe they should ask themselves or be considering so that it then becomes easier to go open up to somebody? So... It's a big question, but I'll I'll see if I can come up with some simple questions yeah. um, off the top of my head. Yeah, so, please. so and I, I you anticipated my um, idea about this is really a first step, right? It's yeah, about yeah. admitting I have a problem, right. you know, and and going from there. So, you know, one of the questions might be something like, um, "Is this a problem? Like, for me, is this yeah. truly a problem?" Right? Keep it simple. Um, 
it might be something actually bigger, like, well, what is it that I really want from my recovery, right? What is it that I really want? And, and to start to envision, is, is, is what I'm doing in my recovery right now enough? Or, or do I want something more? And if the, if the answer is, yeah, I, I, I want a close, intimate relationships in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Which is often the answer, you know, then, then that really is kind of the information that says, okay, so I, I have a vision for something different. And then maybe a third question would be something like, you know, I am I am I really doing what everything I, I want to do with my recovery, or am I kind of skidding along, right? Because I think, as you know and I know, there's a lot of folks who go to meetings. Um, they might be working the steps, working with a sponsor. But in some ways, they're still white knuckling it a bit. Yeah, they're still unhappy. They're still uh, blaming others. They're still feeling shame, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that would be an important part of the process: is is to really soul search a little bit and and ask oneself, you know, am I really working my program in a way that's effective and that's really getting me. Uh, in in a, in a forward kind of motion, right? Because yeah. we want to see we want to see movement. We don't want to pe- see people stuck. Good, yeah, good point. And I'm just recalling from our last conversation. I think that one of the things that we were talking about is, um, y- you know, just this question of uh, is this holding? I mean, and you're saying it, but I think that what really struck me and 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 made sense for me um, and might help someone else is is this thing holding me back? Right. Like, is it holding me back in my daily life to some degree? Is it holding Mm -hmm. me back in life in general from doing things I want to do? And like you're saying right now, you know, is it, is it holding me back in my recovery? Like, you know, is this, is this a barrier essentially from from what it is I want to achieve or from just being happy? And, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of say that you mentioned the word content a minute ago and, uh, I, I think that's such a great word to think about mm-hmm. because we're we're ex- most of us, and I know I am, so I'll speak for myself. I'm an extremist, uh-huh. Uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, no, I'm I'm happy, I'm super happy, <laughs> right? You know, and it's like, no, content is kind of in the middle. It's like I'm, uh, you know, I'm comfortable, like I'm I'm okay. It's not an extreme one way or the other, and right, uh, and and I think that like you said, being comfortable in my own skin for me personally, that kind of gets wrapped into, uh, being content as well. So, um, man, the, the book sounds awesome. Uh, and before we wrap up here though, Andrew, I just want to ask you if there's one piece of advice, uh, that maybe you'd like to share with the sober nation. Mm. By the way, Jonathan, I love the term sober nation because it's so all-encompassing and it, it's so wide-reaching. And I know you guys are in an expansive mode and, and I it's inspiring to even hear that term. Let me see if I can come up with something simple for your audience. Um, I'm probably going to say a few things sure. about that. Yeah. So where I landed in, in my 
work was the idea that that all of us have a level of broken hearted broken heartedness in a, in us sometimes more sometimes less but broken heartedness is is part of living actually and it's part of what we face in recovery because generally when the addiction is active the broken heartedness is really under the radar right we're not really seeing it dealing with it whatever so on the flip side of that the idea i would like to say is anything that enriches your life and helps mend the broken heart is really the healing therapeutic recovery direction and and it's up to you to define those things for however that works for you. But that's really my litmus test is, is this enriching my recovery or is this depleting my recovery? Is this expanding my recovery or is this shrinking my recovery? Is this mending the broken heart or is this pouring salt in the wound? And so the choice is, is ours. And I, I hope that summarizes some of what hopefully can can resonate for the folks listening because that's really a life lesson that that i think we can all continue to learn together i think that's that's some incredible uh advice is it is it helping or is it hurting that's right you know that's that's awesome no and i think that's that's a great way to put it and a really great way to wrap up this interview. So uh, you can learn more about Andrew and his practice at westsidetherapist.com. You can find his book, which you absolutely need to check out. It's not about the sex, moving from isolation to intimacy after sexual addiction on Amazon and on Audible. Thanks again for coming on with me today, Andrew. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.